This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode of Manage Smarter is brought to you by Sales Fuel Sales Manager Training. Based on the Sales Manager's Guide to Greatness, it's a 36-lesson on-demand program to upskill your sales manager so they can execute your vision and drive consistent revenue growth. Watch a free lesson and find out more at salesfuel.com slash SMT. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. Today, Lee, we're going to talk about a couple different subjects. We're going to talk about um, servant leadership. We've talked a little bit about that in the past, but I'd like to get uh, this guest's take on it, and also radical mentoring. Um, those two things. I think it's going to be a great conversation. I think so, too. And we're even going to touch a little bit on spirituality. So I don't care, you know, uh, how you practice that, whether, you know, whether it's a, it's a you know, you're just one with nature or, or, or whether it's something you know, bigger than yourself. It's like, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about that and how that factors in then in, in, into mentoring and management. And looks like it's going to be a great day. It is. Welcome to Manage Smarter, everyone. I'm Audrey Strong, Vice President of Communications at SalesFuel. And I'm Celie Smith, the President and CEO of SalesFuel. So in 2002, Kevin Harris, who is our guest today, underwent a dramatic change as a husband, father, and Jesus follower through his experience as a mentee in a radical mentoring group. He's now the president of Radical Mentoring. Boy, that made quite an impression on him. And that's a nonprofit that is focused on encouraging and equipping churches and mentors to use Jesus-style relational mentoring to create environments for people to be real and be authentic. And that's so important as a leader to be authentic. We've talked about that. Before joining Radical Mentoring, Kevin led a sales team at Wells Real Estate Funds and served in sales positions at CNL, Atlas Energy. He and his wife, Susan, two boys coming live to us from Atlanta, Georgia. Kevin, thank you for coming to the show. Audrey and Lee, thank you for having me. This is going to be fun. It is. So what happened in 2002? Like, tell us the story. Yeah. So in 2002, I was a um, kind of newly married, no nothing, hot shot in my own mind business guy who thought he was ready to, uh, to take on the world. And I was introduced to a guy by the name of Reggie Campbell, who is the late founder of Radical Mentoring. And, um, you know, what, what happened to me during that year, he, he took his life story and his experience. He was an entrepreneurial business guy, um, had some success in the entrepreneurial space, was sort of known in and around the Atlanta community as sort of a, a you know, an entrepreneur that had the, had the minus touch, which oftentimes means they just ignored the stories where things didn't work out quite as well. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I met him and I was, you know, naively thinking that that year would be spent with Reggie and um, eight other guys sort of just networking with each other and bouncing business ideas off of each other. You know, I was a, a, a Christian in my head, um, but I wasn't a Christian in my heart. And what Reggie did is both led us through a journey of understanding our, our faith, but also led us into a journey of understanding how that faith should impact 
all the areas of our life. You know, a lot of times we put we put faith in a little simple little sliver of the pie. But Reggie's premise was, and I, and I think it's a, a the right premise is faith should be the the really the crust that holds it all together. And so, how did that impact my marriage? My um, the way I led and managed people. How did that impact um, what at the time I didn't have any kids. Now I've got these two, two knucklehead boys that I get to hang out <laughs> with all the time. So how did, how did that sort of impact all those areas of my life? And Reggie was a, was a change agent for good in that regard. Yeah. yeah you mentioned the Midas touch, you know, and uh, it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes. It's from a, from a pastor, oddly enough, uh, Steve Shortek, who said that the reason we struggle with insecurity is because we compare our behind the scenes with everyone else's highlight reel. And so it's like, it. so whatever someone's got the Midas touch or something like that, you're just seeing their highlight reel. You're see, you're hearing their greatest hits. Sizzle you're, reel. Yeah, yeah. You're you're not you you know, hearing all the B sides <laughs> and all the and all the failures or like that. You're just getting a humble brag. You got it. And what Reggie did was sort of said, "Hey, here's the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I want you to." I want you to learn from all three. And um, it was really just a, a real dynamic year that we got to hang out with a guy like him. So it was, it was really, uh, really powerful. So how do you coach people to being more authentic? I mean, some people may not have an awareness that they're being inauthentic. And I guess, what is the definition of inauthentic? Because that's almost like inside the person in and of themselves. Like how yeah, would you know, you know that I, they're like, unless they're kind of talking in a fake way, great. So, you know, <laughs> so many times they're lying to themselves, you know, they think they're, they're being, oh, well, that's another but, good point yeah. too. Yeah. That's a big one. You know, I think that, you know, I, I can, I can speak more to the, to the, the male side of the equation, but I think we are somewhat, you know, taught from an early age that, you know, don't ever let them, let them see you sweat. Don't ever let them see you cry, <laughs> yeah. you know, pick yourself up by the bootstrap sort of a thing. And, I think that gets so ingrained in us that um, we don't know what it's like to be our authentic selves. And so we oftentimes we carry that, um, we've carried that mentality into the workplace and into our homes. And, and I think what it really means, the way I would, I typically coach people to that is I'd lead with it. You know, what I wanted, what I realized made, made my, um, my management and coaching effective was that I didn't know who else to be but myself. And I got to a place where it was just really tired trying to be somebody else. And so when I would lead with authenticity, it would bring the walls down of the people around me. And we just be able to have a, we created a base level of foundational level of trust by which we could then build both our friendships and our relationships, but also our business relationships from there. So I think you got to lead with it first before you can teach it. Mm, That makes sense. Yeah, I always just think of uh, Office Space with Gary Cole, and he's like, I need you to work Saturday. That would be great. That'd be great. That'd yeah. be great. <laughs> I love it. I love Is it, it harder to um, keep up, to, to stay true to yourself in the current work situation in COVID-19, or do you find that working in this new style that we all are and meeting like we are today, um, the walls come down more easily? Which is it? I think it's a both and. I mean, I think the research tells you that we are more isolated and alone than ever before. Mm-hmm. And I think we're seeing the ramifications of that sort of in the, you know, the mental health arena. So in one regard, I think it's um, we're more isolated and we've pulled ourselves further back. But I do think to, to your point, I've been on, I've listened to several podcasts and been on a few. And, and what I, when I hear sort of the steam of, you know, now, 
we sort of have no choice but to intersect our family and our work. So if I'm on a conference call with somebody having a conversation, I mean, this happened to me uh, Monday night. I was home. I was with leading my mentoring group. We were meeting on Zoom because one of the guys had been to a wedding and had some exposure to COVID and didn't want to expose oh, the rest wow. of us. And so mm-hmm. my guys, my, my 14 and 11-year-old boys walk in the front door and they kick open the door to the office and they walk in very naturally and they start to just talk to me about. Now, they knew. I said, hey, guys, I'm going to be on my call tonight. And one of them came in and said, you're not going to believe this, Dad. My baseball tournament this next weekend is at this certain park and I'm so excited to play there. And then my other son comes in and goes, dad, you won't believe how great basketball went tonight. And, you know, I'm modeling to these guys that I'm, that I'm mentoring. I didn't tell my kids, I didn't wave my hand and tell them to get the heck out of it. I just brought them over to the computer. These guys have met them. And so it just sort of became this beautiful little intersection of um, what my real world is like, not, uh, you know, not this sort of sterile environment that we, we may be used to in the office space. So I do, th- I do think there's that blend of isolation and loneliness, but also you can't separate the two because you never know who's going to uh, kick the door in and show up in your office when you're in the middle of a call. So Most of us are, are in organizations that are very diverse, you know, when it, when it comes to matters of faith. So mm-hmm. my question to you is like, do you, you have to be a Christian to, to mentor like Jesus? I think the principles that um, that Jesus modeled for us are very much applicable. And I think that servant leadership idea is one that Jesus specifically modeled for us. And so I think if you're a man or woman of integrity and you care for people around you, you will probably be leading like Jesus and may not know you're leading like Jesus. And I just, I, I don't think it matters from a faith perspective. You know, obviously, you know, I do a lot of work with churches and a lot of the leaders that I work with are followers of Jesus. But I do think those principles really, really hold true despite, you know, whatever your varying, you know, places of faith may be. Mm-hmm. So that leads into servant leadership, which is, I guess at this time, um, if you don't have that lens and that approach, you might want to adopt it where we, we have to check in on each other more often and have more empathy and try to be more caring of each other. Don't you think? That's I a good totally place to agree. start. Absolutely. Um, so how can you do that? I mean, more check-ins, um, more on camera. We, we are more connected technologically than in all of human history, and yet we are more isolated more, than ever. More lonely than ever, yeah. Yes. Crazy. No doubt. I mean, I do think it requires, um, as a as a leader, I think it does require more check-ins, but it also means you have to um, you have to check in more with your ears and your heart than you have to do with checking in with a spreadsheet. And I think yeah. you know, right now you will have you will have opportunities to, as we just talked about, to sort of see into what the worlds of of uh, some of your at home employees are like. You can probably see. I know I can tell with my own employees. Um, difference between a good day and a bad day, really just by listening to them, seeing their faces, sort of mm-hmm. looking, panning the background of their of their office space. And I can get a sense of, you know, what really is going on. And I think that idea of a servant leader is you really, you have to, to some degree, put your agenda aside and just learn to love and care for people, still hold them fully accountable. I mean, I think the, you know, the fallacy we oftentimes say is, well, if you're a servant leader and you're trying to lead in a certain way, that means that you can't do that and um, hold people to to account for the results because those two things live in an automatic tension. And I think that if you are caring for somebody and 
wanting the best for them, the natural output of that is still holding them to the standard by which you and your company or your organization think is the right standard. Because if you care, people will rise to that standard, not in a manipulative way. People will work harder for you as a leader um, and they'll hit those targets and hit those results because they sense the heart of the leader and they want to honor that. And I think that that's, you got to kind of throw the myth to the side. So what's the definition that goes right into my next question? What is the definition of other centered selling and is other centered selling more successful in the pandemic as an approach in making sales? Great question. In my mind, you know, the way I define other centered selling is putting the needs of your, uh, the needs of your customer above your needs. And so I, I, I've, I've spent some work with some sales leaders and they really talk about this whole idea of, you know, of, of taking the trip, meaning, you know, you're asking questions of your customer, you're understanding the context of both who they are, what the workplace looks like. You're trying to sort of get a sense of what their needs are. You know, so many of us as salespeople had that training of, you know, I don't really care much about you. All I care is how in the world you're going to fit my solution into your, into your context. And I think that the idea of other centered selling is sort of that idea of flipping the script and saying, look, I'm going to invest my time and energy in who you are. Um, I'm going to do a lot of research before I get on the phone with you. You know, today we've got so much access to um, Facebook and LinkedIn, and we can understand, really, we can understand our prospects and honor them um, by doing the amount of research we can to know who they are before we even get on the phone with them. And so some of that other centered selling is just really looking at the person first before thinking about your product. Yeah, and it's amazing to me how many companies and teams don't do that. And I ask myself, why is this so hard? Right. And, is, and is this, and I'm, I want to ask you is like, is this indicative of something bigger? Is, is, it, is that we're not caring enough for other people as, as human beings to begin with? So therefore we're not carrying that over in, into our business. I, I think, I think it is. I think there is a level of, we are, as you said, we are so connected that in turn, so much of that connection means we don't create enough um, capacity. We don't create enough margin in our, in our time and space before we jump on the phone with somebody because we're sort of going from phone call to email to phone call to email to check social media back to our email to flip over here. Then the alarm goes off and says, oh, my goodness, you got a call with Audrey and Lee in two minutes. Oh, no. Yeah. And then you don't have a chance to figure out who in the world Audrey and Lee are. And so you just jump right into that phone call. And so... We have just, you know, the 24-hour accessibility has, I think, the unintended consequence of that is it has completely bombarded our schedules and our lives over that 24-hour period of time. And so I, do, I don't think other-centered selling means, you, you know, you sort of have to stop before each phone call and give yourself 30 minutes of prep time. But just giving yourself enough space to know I've got to create space on the front end to understand this mm -hmm. person before I jump on the phone with them. And I need to create some space on the back end before I just jump into the next thing so that I'm doing a better job of taking a note, sending an email, jotting down a quick handwritten note, throwing that in the mail to them. Whatever those little extra touches you might want to do, so maybe you learn something about them in the call. I think you got to create space on the front and back end to be really effective in that other centered selling approach. So let me throw this theory out at you. I think, you know, going back to uh, seeing other people's highlight reel, 
is that we have all these connections, but they're fake. I mean, you, you go and you look at someone's LinkedIn profile, whatever, and you see jobs missing where they failed, or you see, you know, you see humble bragging on on Facebook because no one's po posting all the time that they, you know, made a really bad decision or they let their family down or they pissed somebody <laughs> off or, you know, you, you don't right. you don't do that. And so the thing is, is that we think we know the other person. But it's like we don't take the time to actually get real and really truly have heartful conversations to really get to know each other anymore because we just think that we know them because we have these connections and they're fake. You got That's it. my theory. What do you think? I think you're spot on. And I think, um, you know, my wife and I always tell our boys comparison is the robber of joy, meaning, you know, <clears throat> somebody's car somebody's house might be nicer than my house, but you know, you don't know what exactly is happening inside the four walls of that house. And so as I tell my kids, if they think that their buddy's uh, life is better than theirs, we'll say something like, you know, you can go, go live, go live with them. You can, you can have their last name, but you have to have everything that goes with it, whether that's the good, the bad and the ugly. And so, you know, I do think there is that, that tension around, um, you know, but feeling you can do so much research, feel bad about yourself or you can um, yeah. or you can create space for you to ask some questions. So if I look mm -hmm. at a profile and I see somebody's got, you know, a picture, even if they're all happy and smiling and their kids got the home run ball, I know that they their son plays baseball and I know my sons play baseball. And that creates a very soft entry point in for me to at least ask a couple of more personal questions that will then open up the dialogue, I think, in a much uh, more rich way. That was going to be my next question. Um, we've got just a How few How come I keep left. answering your next question? Well, it's, it's amazing, it, it, this is beautiful. This is going exactly where... Um, we, it's called which flow. Is, we have flow. We have flow. <laughs> I'm in the Good. zone. Um, no. Uh, so in discovery for your other centered selling, how, what is like third raily getting too personal in your discovery questions? Like where's the line for that where you can make a discovery that you can then be helpful and consultative and a solution person for them, but it's not too personal. Yeah, no, I think um, I, I would never lead with, hey, I was stalking you on your Facebook page and saw your, your kid got the home run ball last weekend. But I do think as you're having those questions around, well, tell me who you are and what's your story and, mm -hmm. you know, where have you been and what got you to where you are today? You sort of ask those questions knowing underneath that you know a little bit about where they are, you know, what, where their kids are going, where, what schools their kids are. And so as that conversation comes up, more than likely it will come into, they'll talk about some of those things that you've already figured out. So you're really trying to almost you're almost trying to paint a picture, paint a narrative of who that person is so that as you're going through your natural discovery process, they're going to start to reveal some of the things that you may have already, you may have already silently figured out about them just by spending a little time with them, whether it's what college they went to. Hey, what'd you do this weekend? They may say, man, I loved, I watched the Duke, North Carolina. I'm going, you mentioned somebody in Raleigh earlier. I grew up in Durham. And I watched oh. <laughs> the Duke North Carolina basketball game. Oh, really? Well, in the back of your mind, you're like, check. I know that you either grew up there. I know you went to college at UNC. And so then you have a connection where you can sort of, you can sort of pull things from the narrative that you've, that you've already painted about them, if that makes sense. That totally makes sense. Well, your websites we are, oh, go ahead, Lee. I was going to say, what do we need to do next? 
I mean, it's like as we look out into the future, as we look out into 2021, 22, mm -hmm. everything like that, we know, you know, we know where we're at now. You know, still as we record this, we're still battling COVID-19. Um, you know, what's next, would you say, for, you know, if you had to offer one piece of advice for all the listeners out there today, what would it be? I would say now is a great time to work on some of those, you know, soft skill habits. And the temptation will be that at some point we know the economy opens back up and the airlines are filled. And I used to be, I used to be on an airplane for many, for many years, I'd be at the airport once a week. And I know, yeah. I know that world is going to open back up again. And I, what I would hope that my, my hope for people would be that you really set deep roots right now and really anchor yourselves in some of those fundamental things, whether that is anchoring yourself in at home and getting to know your wife and kids better so that when you, when the temptation is to come back and go on that airplane, you now have a better sense of what it's like to honor your family, not sacrifice your family on the altar of your work and just really build good, strong connections, deep connections in your community and at home that you can hold on to when the temptation will come to jump back out on the treadmill and go back out there to try to take on the world again. I love that. Get your support system built up. And it can be different going forward. It doesn't have to be how it was. You can make choices, right. structure it in a whole new way. That's a win-win yeah. all the way around. I, I hope love that, that we've all learned things and we've all, you know, uh, come to appreciate some certain things that we're missing right now. And we yeah, carry I that talk forward. to a lot of people who think, man, I'm as... I'm as good a salesperson on Zoom. I'm great at connecting with people on these conference calls that, you know, I don't know if I will need to be out as much as I was in the past because now I've sort of mm -hmm. developed this skill set that allows me to accelerate the process so I don't have to spend as much time back doing the face-to-face -face back and forth stuff that, that has a tendency to wear us out as, um, you know, oftentimes as salespeople, we feel like we don't have a choice but to be face-to-face. -face. And I think we're all learning you can be just as effective up to a point uh, sure. Just doing the, these kind of things on the call, looking at each other eyeball to eyeball on a computer is, still works. It does. So RadicalMentoring.com, your website, KevinHarris.im. Kevin Harris on Twitter and on Facebook. And then for Radical Mentors is the Facebook uh, address as well. Kevin, this has been a joy. Great. Man, you guys are great. Thanks for letting me join you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.